Hello and welcome back to Law to Talk About. I'm your host, Joseph Cannon, and this is the second episode in, in the Roman Law series. So in this episode, we'll be going through the bulk of the uh, monarchy period, and if you haven't seen the first episode, I would recommend you check that out now. Uh, so before we go into more detail, I think we first need to understand what the, what the kings did, what the role of the kings were in this time. So firstly, the Romans believed that they had seven kings, uh, beginning with Romulus, and... Uh, the kings themselves are associated with different stories, uh, largely mythical. Uh, you will have heard a few in the last episode. So excluding Romulus, who held office by virtue of being the city's founder, um, all the other kings were elected by the people of Rome um, to serve for life. But we'll see that um, the election is not as democratic as it sounds. The king was invested with supreme military, executive and judicial authority for the use of the Imperium which was granted to the king at the start of his reign. So the Imperium of the king was held for life, and it protected him from being brought to trial for his actions. So you can see there's quite a dangerous situation with a king with unchecked power, um, ultimate power, and uh, no risk of ever being brought to trial for his actions. So you can see the, uh, or the age of a society for the Roman monarchy. Um, also the laws, which we'll, which we'll learn about in later episodes, that kept citizens safe, uh, from magistrates, misuse of Imperium did not exist during this period, but we'll uh, address that further in later episodes. So as we've touched upon, the king was the chief legislator uh, in this time. So the Senate and the Curious Assembly, which will have more importance in later episodes, uh, and obviously later in the Roman era, uh, they had very little power or authority at this time. Um, they weren't independent bodies, they didn't possess the right to meet together, and discuss questions for state of their own will. They can be called together by the king, um, and can only discuss the matters the king laid before them. So while the Curia Assembly did have the power to pass laws that had been submitted by the king, it's a sort of false power because, I mean, it technically it is power, but the only person who could submit laws with the king, and the likelihood of them being rejected was slim. The Senate, on the other hand, was effectively, was even weaker. Um, it was effectively an honorary council. It could, its role was mainly advisory, and it could no means prevent the king from acting in a way that they didn't want him to. The only thing the king could not do without the approval of both the Senate and the Curia Assembly was to declare war against a foreign nation. So you're seeing some limitations on the king, uh, although not many. And this whole uh, idea of power and unbridled power, unchecked power, will all... Um, come into the founding of a republic. A man called Livy, a very important uh, republican theorist, he has many ideas about the uh, power corrupting the person um, when, it's, when so much power is given to one person. That's one of the main reasons the Romans became a, a republic. But we'll get onto that later. So another role of the, of the king was uh, the chief judge. So Imperium uh, qualified him to pronounce legal judgments in all cases, as the Chief Justice of Rome. Um, he could assign pontiffs to act as minor judges in some cases. He had supreme authority in all cases brought before him. So this made a king supreme um, in both times of war and peace. Uh, you can see this, this is also very dangerous. It, you might lack consistency. You've got very dangerous subjective decisions. So yeah, this is potentially very dangerous. And we'll see um, when we go into more detail about Tarquin. Um, he judged capital criminal cases without the advice of councillors, um, 
which obviously created mass fear around the whole of Rome, and this is one of the main reasons he was actually overthrown. Um, but we'll get onto that later. Uh, so yeah, so to assist the king, a council advised the king during all trials, um, but the council, just like the uh, senate, had no power to control his decisions. It was just completely advisory. There was also two criminal detectives and also a two-man criminal court, which oversaw cases of treason. So in terms of the actual election of kings, they were voted by the people of Rome, but it was more of a vote to have the king in power or reject him and will be another candidate. There was no sort of picking your favourite candidate or picking the candidate which, you know, uh, relates to you most. But in his time, this is very advanced and obviously it's more, more democratic than many countries today. So this, this is something that the Senate had more power in. The Senate would pick. This is obviously more power in the Senate. So whenever a king had died, Rome would enter a period called interregnum. And in this period, the supreme power of the state would devolve to the Senate. And their, their role, really, at this point, was to find a new king. So the Senate would firstly disappoint one of its own members to serve as a sort of caretaker role and sort of serve as like a temporary king while trying to find the while trying to find the next king of Rome. And if they didn't find anyone in five days, then another member of the Senate would take over for another five days and try and find another king. And once one of the members of the Senate had found a uh, suitable nominee for kingship, they would bring the nominee to the Senate and then the Senate would review him. And if this nominee was passed, there would now be an election for the king. So yeah, that's from the uh, main roles of the king. Um, I mean, there's more military roles, but we'll keep on topic with the legal and historical nature of this podcast. So, so there are seven kings in the uh, Roman monarchy period. We're going to focus on three in this uh, episode. Um, I think the three most important. So we've got Romulus, who's the first one. And then we've got Servius, who was the sixth. And also Tarquin, who's the seventh. So Romulus, as you probably know already, or you saw in the last episode, um, he founded the city in 753 BC. So after Romulus founded the, the city, he divided the populace into three tribes, mostly for military and taxation purposes. So these tribes were further divided into ten curia, and each tribe on their own were presided over by an official known as a tribune. So each of these curia would be allotted a portion of land, and in response to this they had to uh, pay the tax, they had to uh, supply a hundred foot soldiers, known as a century, and ten cavalry. So each tribe um, provided about 1,000 infantry and about 100 uh, cavalry. So another thing that uh, Romulus did, he uh, founded the Senate. To do this, he basically just took 100 men from the leading families of Rome. He made them patres. And finally, the last thing I'm going to talk about with Romulus is the fact that he was very focused on encouraging the growth of the city, as we saw in the last episode, um, not, in, not always in the most moral ways, including the uh, snatching and uh, taking of the... Sabine women. But another way that uh, Romulus uh, did actually increase the population was to what uh, he outlawed the uh, killing of children and he also established a sort of asylum for fugitives where basically the uh, exiles and the unwanted people from uh, nearby towns and tribes would uh, have a place to go. So the next king we'll talk about is uh, Servius Tullius and he was the sixth king as we've mentioned earlier. So the uh, most important things that Servius did are known as the Servian reforms. So most of the 
reforms credited to Servius were mostly focused on extending voting rights. So people like uh, minor landholders who had before this been there disqualified from voting um, due to maybe ancestry, uh, maybe ethnicity, or st just status, these could now vote. So another of the aims of uh, Servius was to erode the uh, civil and military power of the Roman aristocracy. So what it is really was, so as we know that before this, the citizens of Rome could only participate in justice uh, uh, in a very limited fashion. So they could offer their opinions on decisions, but they could not vote. And therefore the aristocracy exercised power and control over the majority of people. So what Servius did was he formed a, a, a new committee of, of, of the normal civilians. This displaced the committee of the aristocracy as, the, as Rome's central legislative body. So this required the uh, first Roman census, which made Servius the first Roman censor. And for the purpose of this census, I'm sure you'll all know what a census is, um, but citizens assembled by tribe and they registered their social rank, property, income and household. So yes, we're now going to Tarquin. So, finally we have Lucius Tarquinius Superbus, uh, more commonly known as, Lu as uh, Tarquin the Proud or Tarquin the Arrogant. And as you can tell by the connotations of those words, he wasn't very well liked. As we'll see in the next few minutes, Tarquin really was the reason the Roman monarchy ended and the Republic began. Anyway, this all started with the way he took power. How he took power, um, pretty much, what he did was, he went to the Senate uh, with a group of armed men, he sat himself on the throne, and he summoned the senators. He spoke ill of Servius, he called him a slave, and he denounced him for favouring the lower classes of Rome over the wealthy, taking the land of the upper classes and giving it to the poor. And when Servius heard this, he uh, hurried down uh, to confront Tarquin. But Tarquin, um, being much younger, he carried the king outside and he flung him down the steps of the Senate house and into the street. And essentially, Tarquin's assassins just went down and uh, murdered Servius. Tullia, Tarquin's wife, um, drove her chariot uh, down, well, drove in her chariot to uh, the Senate, to the Senate house, where she was the first to hail her husband as king. And as she drove towards the house, her driver stopped, and he was horrified at the sight of the king's body lying on the street, dead. But Tullia seized the reins, and she drove the wheels of a chariot over her father's corpse. So Tarquin commenced his reign by refusing to bury the dead Servius. And then he put to death a number of leading senators whom he suspected were loyal to Servius. And he didn't replace these uh, senators. By doing this, he diminished the, the authority of the Senate. So yeah, he... By killing... Uh, which obviously increases his power. So the reign of Tarquin is very important in the foundation of the Republic. As I mentioned earlier, um, the historian Livy, he has the idea, he's a very influential figure of his time, there is an idea in Republicanism that power is dangerous and the humans will corrupt under the influence of power. But Livy, um, this great historian, he believed that the monarchy was necessary. He believed it was necessary to lay the foundations of a republic by establishing family feelings and a love of soil. And by this he means the monarchy consolidated a sentiment of community. The community that is necessary for a republic, for a, for a country to grow. Uh, a republic requires this communitarian spirit, the willingness to sacrifice for members of your community. Livy believed that the monarchy was necessary to harbour those feelings. So anyway, as we've uh, discovered earlier, Tarquin was not a uh, well-liked figure at all. He was actually overthrown and 
This is a story called The Rape of Lucretia. So the story basically is like this. The Romans sitting around a campfire, they were fighting a war this time, and they were bragging about the virtue of their wives. As they were only 25 miles away from where they lived, they thought they would go and see if their wives were behaving by Roman standards. So anyway, they went and uh, they, they saw their wives, um, all of whom were, were misbehaving, again by Roman standards, partying, etc. All the women were misbehaving, apart from one. A woman called Lucretia, who was locked in a bedroom, weaving, uh, as Roman women were supposed to do. So Lucretia's husband, he was very happy with this, and he was bragging oh, um, to all the other Roman men. But one person who saw this was one of the princes, a son of Tarquin, who goes back to the house. He breaks, he breaks into it and threatens to rape her, or kill her, and kill a slave in her own bed, so it looks like she's been misbehaving. Lucretia is forced to submit. Unfortunately. So after this, Lucretia sent word to her husband, who came with his father, and a man called Brutus. Lucretia said that she could not live with herself, that she grabbed one of her swords, and she falls on it. Brutus grabs her sword, he raises it in the air, and he says that he would overthrow the king or die trying. And he has his men do the same. So the soldiers go back to their camp and they declare independence from the king. They hold an election, and this, this is a foreshadowing of what's to come. They hold an election, they vote for two consuls. And the idea of this um, is a key idea of, of the Republic, so they both have chief executive power. They have the same power as the king, but it's organised in a way that limits it and prevents it from corrupting. So there are two people um, which both have the same executive power but can veto each other's actions, and they only rule for one year terms. And the idea of this is how much can you destroy in one year? Not that much, they say. But also, I think that a weakness of this is how much can you achieve in one year? I think it's perhaps too safe going for one year terms, as yes, it means that you're less likely to have radical changes, but sometimes radical changes are for the best. So yeah, so this is the story of the Republic. So thank you for listening, I've been Joe Cannon, and this has pretty much been the whole of the Republic. The series will get more legally focused in the uh, next few episodes. Um, there's only so much you can say about uh, the monarchy. Uh, I think it's more, basically more for context um, in terms of the as the most fascinating um, and important uh, developments in the law came in the Republic and also the Empire. So anyway, thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks.